I'm Zach Embry, and this is Till We Die, a podcast about DIY music scenes and the people that make them happen. You're not Christian enough for a lot of Christians, and you're definitely not punk enough for a lot of punks. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you kind of got to be okay with being yourself. Right after I joined the band, I think a month later we opened Black Sheep. You know, yeah. it was great. It was wild, just like that. God knows it wasn't just for the music that I did. But, you yeah, know? yeah. I mean, if it was for that, I would have stopped a long time ago. You know, but it was more for the it was more for the people. In this episode, I sit down with Papa Kevin Bradford in the back of my coffee shop. I poured him a nitro cold brew and we chatted about creating DIY spaces, how hip-hop kept him from getting beat up, and of course, Christian hardcore. Kev started the legendary Black Sheep Cafe and has played in numerous area bands. Like Mana from Heaven, here's Kevin. I mean, I'm, I'm a Springfield native, you know, born and raised, lived here most of my life except for three years when I lived in upstate New York uh, for school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, man, from the north side of Springfield originally, you know, Langford grad, uh, all that thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've been involved with, you know, I can't remember when I got into music and stuff, and that was probably like, 95, 94, you know, when I was a little kid, all my friends liked gangster rap, you know, because okay. that was like the era. Yeah. And uh, that's, everybody's into that. That's like the five kids I knew that like Nirvana got beat up every day. Yeah. And so okay. I was kind of like, I don't want to be like those guys. Sure. <laughs> and so I didn't really give like rock-based music, I think, a chance until I was, you know, maybe like 17 or something, you know. Okay. So uh, what, um, before that, what kind of... I mean, what kind of kid were you? Were you like a jock? Were you hanging out with... Uh, oh, dude, a loner for sure. Just hanging out. Yeah, I mean, my mom and dad said I was kind of like a little old man. You know? Okay. So I was sort of like an old soul. And they said I liked... I often like would just sort of stare and, and ponder things. You know? Okay. Or, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I did a lot of that. And I had friends growing up, of course. Sure. But, you know, we were kind of like the weirdos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember... My best friend growing up, actually, his dad was an imam, you know, so he was Muslim. Okay, yeah. And I was Christian, and so we had a real cool friendship, you know, and he was from, his family was from Morocco and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of, you know, split ways in middle school, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we were, we were like, we talk about politics, you know, okay. when we were fifth grade, and we, you know, talk about just, you know, deeper things, I guess, like we sure. both, I think, didn't you know, like sitting around talking about, you know, like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, like, we, we, like video games or whatever, but, you know, everyone's like talking about like, you know, pods or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. all that kind of stuff. And we just weren't into that, you know, sure. I was in the, co- I got into comic books on my own. I just was like, Hey man, this is cool. I want to, and I got, remember getting Spider-Man 350 and just checking it out. So when I was into something, I just would investigate it. 
And a lot of times people didn't really get into stuff until it seems like way later. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's the really adopter stuff. Okay. But yeah, you know, and growing up in a in like a household of faith, you know, that was a big obviously it's still a huge thing in my life, mm-hmm. like God and stuff and and I grew up in that kind of uh, household as well, you know, but it wasn't like anything was like forced on me. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that so that all those different elements but yeah, you know, I guess I was just sort of a strange kid in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. very socially inept. Uh, didn't really, you know, understand people very well. Yeah. You know, kind of lost in my own head a lot. Yeah. And so that's the kind of kid I was. So uh, people liked me, I guess, when I got to know them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think when I was, you know, probably fifth through seventh or maybe in eighth grade, people messed with me and stuff until yeah. I started, like, fighting back. Yeah, yeah. You know? Because I went to Washington and Fightchens and stuff, and those were all pretty rough schools. Sure. And so, yeah, you know, but I had a lot of friends from all different backgrounds, you know, and I'm making friends. And, you know, man, but, yeah, I guess to sum it up, I was a weirdo. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what, uh, was there was there music in your house? Like, did, you, did your parents yeah. play music? or? Uh... Yeah, my dad played drums. Okay. And, you know, my dad likes the Beatles, and he liked a lot of 60s rock. You know, my dad was born in 53. Sure. You know, so he liked the Beatles, he liked, you know, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, you know, my mom liked Harry Belafonte, and she, you know, like Mahalia Jackson, like some gospel mm-hmm. music, you know, and so all those different factors kind of went in there, but I, I liked it that they, it kind of also dug hippie music like Narada, which was like kind of atmospheric, because the Christmas music we listened to was like 80s, like new age, like Christmas music, you know what I mean? Really atmospheric. So that's probably where I got my like love of atmospheric music yeah, from. Is like all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, that's it, cool. it was that kind of era. But you know, even Harry Belafonte opened me up to like. You know, he was more like doing, you know, calypso or soca or yeah. something. But it kind of, like, I kind of started to dig reggae through that actually. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I like how reggae sounds, and I want to get into that. So eventually, that was kind of like my okay. This is cool. I want to check this stuff out. You know. Yeah. Yeah, music was always a thing, you know, and they also like Simon and Garfunkel a lot too. Sure. But that stuff always bummed me out. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. like, because, like, their songs are really depressing about, like, there's a song yeah. about the, like, an atom bomb hitting the, some mm-hmm. town or when disintegrating or whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, when you're like it's 10 years stuff. old, it's heavy yeah. stuff, yeah. you know? For sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, music was definitely a big part of our house. Okay. And my grandpa played boogie, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, he's from Decatur and he taught himself how to play guitar and, and he taught himself to play piano, and during the war he played boogie music and stuff, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times when he would go to bed, he'd, like, play a, play boogie and stuff, you know? So, like, he, he liked Nat King Cole. Yeah. So, yeah. like, especially the trio stuff, and it was, okay. like, jazz. So, so I like jazz a lot because of my grandpa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was always a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds pretty cultured. It sounds a lot more cultured than my house. Maybe. I don't I mean, know. You're, you're, you're best friends with a Muslim kid. You got a, you got all these different kinds of music, uh, you know, Moroccan food. If you were hanging out with your buddy, a no? little bit, a little I mean, bit, yeah, a little bit. I mean, Moroccan tea for sure, but it was so sweet. It kind, of, I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know about this. No, no, you know? Was, yeah. <laughs> so what? Um, so you didn't want to, you didn't want to be like the Nirvana kids who were getting beat up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you were at that time. You were listening to to rap with, with oh, those, yeah. those friends for sure, for sure. It was. So you just say that's like the like what was the what broke you away from like your parents' music like you remember what like some of the first yeah dude for, well for sure like bone, the first like Bone Thugs EP mm-hmm. uh, Wu Tang a little bit 
you know, but I didn't really like East Coast hip hop at first because West Coast is really popular around yeah. my friend's set and stuff. And because it, it was just in the media. So, yeah. but that was when I was first like, okay, this is kind of, this is kind of cool, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you could kind of listen to Magic. Was it Magic 103? It was a St. Louis station that you could kind of pick up sometimes in Springfield, but they'd play hip hop, you okay. know. Yeah. And so you could listen to Bone Thugs or, you know, Coolio or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it was yeah. the time. Because it was like, you know, that's, and the box was on TV, which mm-hmm. was like, you would call in and like pay like a dollar to get the video you want on. Okay. It was real weird. Yeah. You know, and it, it was just stuff was on the present like that. It was kind of everywhere, you know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and any kind of conscious hip hop or anything that was more East Coast or like a little neutral or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you weren't as exposed to. So you had to f- kind of find that stuff. Yeah. You know, but so that was my first kind of like, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, I didn't really get the whole grunge thing because, like I said, everyone I knew that liked that, even, like, my older cousin seemed all bummed out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I never got that. So it was either that stuff or hip-hop, which seemed more fun and, like, alive. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went with that, I guess. Yeah. But it wasn't until, like, later on, I was like, oh, okay, there's stuff here that is kind of fun and that is rock-based and it's not just, yeah. you know, sad, mopey stuff. You sure. Know? But, what what uh, what was that, like, what was that, like, who, who got you into that or what bands do you remember? Oh, like, punk? Yeah. yeah. Like, what happened from, from being, like, a... Yeah. Well, my, my best friend, uh, my best friend Alex Skyler, like, we went to high school together, and we went to kindergarten and all that stuff together, too, but he's actually one of those kids that got into, like, Nirvana, and he got into, like, Pantera, Metallica, especially, and he was one of those kids that got beat up all the time. Yeah. And so I saw his journey, and he was bummed out, you know, and I was mm-hmm. kind of like, man, this kind of sucks, and then... But he he played for me this mixtape a friend gave him because he went down to Florida to stay with his mom for a while. And so he, he got a mixtape. And on it was like, you know, was, actually it was a lot of Christian scenes though, like Five Iron Frenzy. Okay. It was like, uh, you know, some punk and stuff or whatever. And it was different. I didn't know what to think of like that kind of ska at first. But I was kind of like, you know, it's not bad, you know, so yeah. I guess it opened the door for punk and stuff for me. It wasn't like I was, like, you know, a huge mark for him or something. Yeah. It was just like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I got Tooth and Nail samplers, and then I got, like, oh, okay, then there's, like, other bands like Bad Brains and the Ramones and, mm-hmm. and you know, punk rock, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I kind of, like, started getting to the roots of the thing. Mm-hmm. But it took me a while, I think, to be okay with with that, but I didn't really have a, a huge musical palette at that point that was my own. And yeah. so when I got into, when I got that mixtape, my friend let me listen to it. It was like a whole new world opened up and you didn't hear about stuff like that because you had to have a friend show it to you. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like you had the internet and you had all the blogs and all the stuff exactly. you have today. Yeah. So it was like really word of mouth and really nobody at Lanford was really into that stuff. Um, except for a couple people like Sam West was up there and some kids that went to the asylum a lot. Alex went was into that stuff too, but he was a metalhead too. Yeah, he was really into Metallica, really into like, especially Prague. He really got into Dream Theater and stuff, okay. you know. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I never got heavy into them, but that was my first like exposure to that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. you know, it was like, you know, that opened up the door. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, with it and with reggae too, but with reggae, I just wanted to know what it was, mm-hmm. and so I just, I just bought a comp CD and that was my first introduction to it. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of pursued that intentionally. 
as well as with the punk stuff too. But I kind of got into both around the same time, which I didn't know that, but that's what a lot of old punks used to be yeah, into. Yeah. You know, I had no idea. Yeah, they're all connected. Yeah. yeah, it is all connected. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's really interesting too. I I grew up in a really religious house, so I wasn't allowed to listen to you know music that wasn't like Christian. So yeah, my yeah. like at 13, 14, when I started listening to punk rock or like heavy bands at all. Uh, it was like MXPX and POD and like yeah, uh, yeah. Demon Hunter and those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, then like you go to high school and you've been listening to this stuff for a few years and uh, nobody else like likes those bands. Nobody knows who they are. You find the metal kids and they don't know who they are because they listen to Slayer oh, yeah, and yeah. Pantera yeah, and Corn yeah. uh, or whatever it was at yeah, the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a little younger, so... Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I, it, so it was like until like you know adulthood, till I was on my own pretty much that I like got to dig in and listen to Black Flag and like yeah. those kind of bands. So I was I always yeah. felt behind, um, but at the same time, it gave me like a more natural like I was able to explore that stuff on my own. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I had friends like Matthew and Bill and those guys who gave me CDs or like told yeah. me you know like. Yeah. This is what you know. This is this, and this is that. And the internet um, was starting to like become a thing as I was a child. So yeah, uh, we got through some of that. But I do think that that's really interesting. That that's like kind of like what's more countercultural than like Christian subcultures. <laughs> like you're already yeah, like punk, yeah. and then you add like an extra thing like to yeah. to separate you from yeah. yeah so. It's like one of those kind of things where yeah you're not you're kind of like a margin walker you know like you're not christian enough for a lot of christians and you're definitely not punk enough for a lot of punks yeah yeah and so you you kind of got to be okay with being yourself Mm -hmm. and people don't like it too bad sure you know and so that's and i you know and i kind of in my my faith in my taste in music kind of i think both grew that way you know yeah and it's like it's fine i mean if you you, could, you like that or you don't, it's up to you, you know, but I am who I am and I'm not ashamed of who I am. Sure. And so you kind of have to have the chutzpah a little bit when you walk those lines, you know? Yeah. What, uh, what, what about live music? Like what was the, um, you, you ran the Black yeah. Sheep Cafe, which yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about in a little bit, but, yeah. um, what, what was your like introduction to that? Like, or like, when did you start going yeah. to shows or? Well, actually, it was a serious band called Bleach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw them. Uh, the, the 90s Christian yeah. pop punk yeah. band. Yeah. Yeah, I saw them, and it was cool. And I, I kind of like... Where'd you see them at? Do you remember? I saw them at Powerlight, actually. Okay. Yeah. And I was kind of like... Yeah, you know, it was like late 90s, and I was like, man, if, if like these guys look like normal people, like they look like my age or maybe a little older, and they're doing it, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, I kind of put the two and two together, like, you know, probably anybody could do this. Yeah. And because there's this whole, like, you know, because of the rock and roll culture thing that kind of dominates a lot of people's, uh, you know, like uh, imaginations about music, it's like, man, that's only for like, a select few people that can sure. do that you yeah. know? and it's like it doesn't seem like a folk music that anybody can kind of apprehend and I was like hey man if they can do it I can do it yeah and that was my first intro to like yeah I mean this is like something anybody can do and I you know and that band was a good band and I I'm not mm-hmm. ashamed of that at all I don't care about some kind of like scene cred or some crap like that sure, no. you know <laughs> yeah you know so it's like no, I love bleach. yeah bleach was great and 
and I kind of opened it. That was like that stuff. I mean, you know, with hardcore, that was my first like. I was passionate about hardcore because mm-hmm. to me, you know, I was young and angry, and and seeing some of those bands, but the bands, you know, of course, I got into was like you know NIV and Strongarm and those bands mm-hmm. first because they were passionate, but they also believed some things that I believed too. Yeah, it wasn't this all nihilistic. Yeah, you know, so it was angry and aggressive, but. Uh, it also had a, a message that I liked, mm-hmm. and it had a message that was redemptive. Yeah. And so and I still listen to Strong Arm. I think those are still some of the best lyrics a hardcore band's ever come up with. You know, and that's yeah. up there. Even Matt Fox from Shihaloop says that. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's like that band was great, and it's it's a shame they're not as appreciated as they are should be. You know, but that was I never got to see them either because I got into them right you know right after they broke yeah. up. Yeah. You know, because they broke up at like '98 or something. Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean, yeah. so like that's the thing back then. Like, unless you had a way to see them or no, if someone told you about them, you just kind of stumble sure. on stuff. Yeah, I mean, I know? was, I was. It was two thousand three, two thousand four before I was listening to Bleach and Strongarm and stuff. So yeah, you know, like you finally find this band or you find this thing you love, you dig it a little deeper, and you realize that it's, like yeah. you're never gonna see them. Yeah, uh, I remember like downloading the Page of the Lion records off of. Uh, pure volume yeah and yeah. uh like like digging into it and just being like oh my god this is so good i love this i've never heard music like this and then like just realizing that i would never see pitch the line again but they did yeah now. Night, and i've seen yeah, it now a couple now. times and it's great yeah, but yeah. i was like you know super bummed which makes sense because that band's a big bummer so yeah for sure yeah. what uh what do you think so like what was the what was the scene like? What was the area like um, around that time? Like, were people doing shows? Is there? Um, yeah, I mean, the asylum had stuff. The asylum was uh, that was that was an all ages place that Steve Brink ran, mm-hmm. and that was like the older Springfield scene, like you know, Corey Howell and you know all those guys. You know, they mm-hmm. were. Yeah, Miles Parkhill and Robbie Cording, and they, you know they all go back to that era, mm-hmm. even you know even before that. Yeah, and you know it was sort of like a place for people to hang out and gather and stuff, yeah. and and so a lot of people in the area did that, and that was there. I mean, Skanks, Skanks mm-hmm. had shows. Other places had like Ely's Planet had shows, and you know there was you know there was, there was a lot of people coming out to stuff back then, and I think two people forget. The 90s was a strange time because there was a national movement of underground music becoming popular. Yeah. And so that wave lasted for a while mm-hmm. and it, it it dissipated in the 2000s but you know it was you know Green Day sold multi-platinum like a multi-platinum record, you know, and they come from the Oxnard yeah. thing, you know. And you had other bands that just got huge because of you know it just got a lot of notoriety and playtime sure. on tv yeah. and so there was a a movement like that back then and it was a lot more accessible so that kind of drove all that stuff too mm-hmm. and it's not like you you go to some like some dive place on the lower east side of new york like a7 or something to see some band like way back in the day yeah. you know it was like it became really mainstream mm-hmm. and so you had a whole different dynamic and so it was easy to kind of find, but also kind of not. But in but because of that, there was you know a lot of people went to shows. So that's why you know 
when Nile was doing stuff in the early nineties, they you know, George would say they had four hundred, five hundred people coming to Skanks. Yeah. You know, and, and I wasn't at those shows, I was too young, but that's huge. Yeah, you know? that's huge. But they were they were at a place where they're a great band and also people were like ready for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was this whole like kind of like a sync up of all these different factors that kind of made it just a boom time for that kind of music. Yeah. And so when you were getting into it, it was it was just sort of there, you yeah. know. It wasn't. It wasn't so like kind of hard to find like now, and it's there, but it's like it's not mainstream at all. Yeah. And again, it's like way underground again. Yeah. You know. So the the rise and fall of places like that kind of coincided with that, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What uh? So when when did you when did Black Sheep start? When did that happen? That was 05. Yeah. Um. I joined this band called Solemn Bow. And that was Roger Smith, Marty Viola, and uh, Sean, I forget Sean's last name, Sean played guitar. And I, my ex found, uh, grew up with Roger, and they actually bumped into each other at like a video store or something, which now sounds really antiquated, they've been talking <laughs> about video stores. Yeah. But, uh, and she told him like, oh yeah, my, my husband's straight edge, and uh you know, he's in the hardcore and all that stuff because she found that Roger was into that stuff too. Yeah. And uh, Roger's like, oh, you give him my number because we need a drummer. And so and I got back from New York like the year before and didn't really know anybody again. Yeah. You know, it was like my friends all moved away or whatever and, you know. And so that was like 04 when we moved back and then you know, I joined the band when I joined the band, we, our first show we played was at this like festival that Roger put on at like uh, the Nelson Center, like mm-hmm. in the hockey rink, you know, okay. called Two One Seven Fest. Yeah, and it was kind of, it was cool. You know, St. Louis kids came up, Peoria kids came down. It was it was he was going to book Twenty Five to Life to headline it, I think, mm-hmm. but then they dropped, and then I think New Society uh, headlined it. But basically, it was it was cool, and and right around that time, like. We were hanging out with like Derek and Crystal a lot, and uh, they were really good friends with you know Roger and Missy and, and stuff, and, and with Marty, and the, you know they were all talking about how they wanted to open up a venue, and I always wanted to do that too. That was kind of on my heart for a couple of years to do a place to give kids a home and, and stuff and have mm-hmm. shows and whatever, and it was weird. We all just right after I joined the band, I think. A month later, we opened Black Sheep. You know, yeah, it was yeah. great. It was wild, just like yeah. that. You know, a door opened, and we were, you know, we we played a show at Skink Skates in the middle of August, and the build the Black Sheep building was just kind of sitting there. Mm-hmm. And Roger's like, "Hey, man, we should look at this building over here. Like, it's just sort of sitting there, and George George owns it or something." And I was like, "Okay, I guess." You know, I was mm-hmm. I was the most skeptical one of the group because yeah. I was like. I'm 22. I don't know anything about running a business. Yeah, and it sounds like a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. And so we checked it out, and it was a you know it was a wreck. You know, there's a drop ceiling, and the, it looked way different than what it ended up looking like. You know. Yeah. Uh, but we checked it out. We played the show at Skinks and talked to George a little bit, and then I guess the others were talking to George, and then. A couple of weeks later, we signed a lease with George, and it was like Marty, Roger, uh, Crystal, and me were the original four owners, and we signed the first lease. And I remember 
like I said, being like the most skeptical one, like, I don't know, but they were like, well, the rent's cheap. George kept the rent real cheap at first. It was like 350 a month. Mm-hmm. You know, utilities were cheap. And then they wanted to start basically like the asylum because those guys especially all grew up going to the asylum. Yeah. And to them, it meant a lot. And they wanted to have a place like that for kids. And uh, How long had the asylum been done? It closed in, I think, in 01. Okay. So to that point, about four years. Yeah. So there was no all-age space. There was bread stretchers and bread stuff. Bread stretchers, but yeah. no like straight up like there wasn't like a space. yeah there wasn't a space at all and at the time everybody was like a christian too so that was a big part of it you know and always was like you know to, to love people you mm-hmm. know in a, in a tangible way and to like bring spiritual realities into the into the world you know mm-hmm. and so uh you know that's what you know crystal thought of the name you know that was crystal's idea to call it the black sheep yeah. cafe i was like sure okay yeah you know, you know? And, uh, you know, we we opened up, we had our first show, it was a benefit show, and that was like September 17th of 2005, and it was really long, but it was really cool, it was like, you know, 10 or 11 bands, yeah. and Silent Valley, my old band played The Morning After, which was Derek and Derek's old band, with Earl West, and Gary Swaggerty was in that band, and then Cairo Eater's old hardcore band Hit the Ground Dead played. And that was cool. I remember like being kind of blown away by that band, but it, it was cool. The first the first show was neat, and then right after the first show, the city came in and and basically was they were like, "You guys can't have shows. You got to put an I beam down the floor. You got to yeah. change all the stuff. You got to put another bathroom in, just to to mm-hmm. stop us, yeah, to close us." And so we had to. So the second show we had actually booked like Seventh Star and Looking Forward, mm-hmm. which I was stoked about yeah, that because yeah. I was way into those bands, especially yeah. for your second show. Yeah, 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 that was a big deal for us, you know. And so we had to have it at Skinks, and we were, we're all pretty bummed out we couldn't have it at the Black Sheep, but it was a big deal, dude. And then eventually we we kind of called the city out on talk radio and got people to kind of pressure the city into like working with us. Eventually mm-hmm. they called George and were like, Hey man, let's make this thing work. And they dropped the bathroom thing and we just put the I beam in and then we opened, Yeah, you know? And so at that point it was probably December. I think we finally opened up all the way because mm-hmm. we, we had to have shows at different places until we had it completely open. So we had it some at skanks, we had some at the warehouse, which was this like venue they made out of this yeah old warehouse on mm-hmm. uh, WQLZ, the rock the butt rock station at the time owned it. And yeah. They had like you know like uh, you know, saliva or something played yeah, it, you know yeah, like, yeah. stuff like that. And we just were kind of rolling, and then we were you know probably we had some big stuff. It was hard to get people to come in at first, mm-hmm. you know. It was hard to get kids to come down to the to Southtown really. You know, people were worried about coming down there, or whatever, and people were going there for years, and it was fine. It was just people were sketched out a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I remember booking the. I think they booked the graduate, and that was maybe their second show, and they were a huge like indie band mm-hmm. from here. Like they they made the cover of CMJ and some other stuff back in the mm-hmm. day, and that was probably our biggest crowd at that point. Was that one? It was huge, and also Brian's old ska band had like a CD release, and that was huge too. Yeah. And that was like in November of '05. So by '06, 
We had like a little crowd of regulars, like Miles Fowler sort of coming around and some other people that kind of mm -hmm. grew up with the place. Like first time I remember seeing Miles was probably like March or April of 06, I think. So Miles is coming around pretty early on. Yeah, Miles is in Black Sheep State. Yeah, Miles is like the unofficial mascot. Kind yeah, of, he's like the, you know? Yeah, lives lives there, lives underground, you know, yeah. took care of it. It's like very much like a legend. The local legend, for yeah. sure. And, uh, you know, the the other owners by July of 06 were all gone. I mean, they, you know, it's a lot of work and, you know, some of them had kids, some of them just, it sounds good on paper and, you know, but it's hard and, and I'm, I don't, you know, I understand. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's just like, you, you know, I, you, you're it's, not in it, you're not in it. Yeah. And it's okay. There's no, yeah. you know, you know, I understand because like, like I said, one of, one of the guys had a family, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's hard to do all that stuff yeah. and that too. It's just, it's impossible. So sure. I, you know, I get it. So by then it was all, and plus me and, me and Roger were in a touring band. Like by that point, Solomon Val broke up and we were in Kick to the Head. Yeah. Kick to the Head did a lot of stuff in 06. Like we did at least four little mini tours. We went all the way out to New Jersey. We went all over the place. Iowa played a lot, of, played out a lot, you know? Yeah. And uh, we were busy with that too. So we're, we're mm -hmm. busy with that. We're busy with the venue. And so just, you know, stuff just, you know, had to give a little bit. Yeah. So by July of 06, I was kind of doing it by myself. And so that was kind of scary. Like, and I probably was doing the least amount of stuff. I would just show up to shows and just sort of help run shows. Yeah. I didn't really worry about booking that much. I was more focused on my own band mm -hmm. than the Black Sheep. But it was when they all stopped. I remember thinking, man, I could just stop too and we could just, you know, whatever. Yeah. I felt this sort of fire in my heart not to not to stop, mm -hmm. which I believe is like you know God's spirit, you know, and so I just kept doing it, yeah. And I just I felt like you know, well, to see how far this will go, sure. And there wasn't some like five year plan, but you know that August of '06 was rough. You know, it was like trying to figure stuff out because you know there wasn't a lot of, uh, but George. You know, to his credit, told me, "Hey, man, like we'll make this thing work." Yeah. You know, and he was always cool about. You know, he let me pay him as I got the money. Sometimes I just find him, just hand him, hand him a stack of cash and pay our rent that way. Yeah. Or we'd have wait till we had a good show to pay it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it was. You know, we. I think the first six months I couldn't afford to pay the electric bill, so we just kind of let it go. And mm -hmm. then they didn't turn it off, and that was nice. And yeah. then eventually, <laughs> eventually, like uh, you know, we I had enough to you know, pony up and pay it, but sure. that's how it was back then. Yeah. It was just sort of like going by the seat of your pants, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. That was year one. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And not to mention all this, the drama of just doing that, and you know, weirdos would come in trying to sell me hammers, and st like crackheads mm -hmm. would come in trying to sell hammers, and you know, yeah. or just just weird stuff would go down man you know there was like there used to be an outlaw club across the street and then that closed right before we opened which i was like man thank god you know because yeah, yeah. like that would have been trouble mm -hmm. and, and one of the sh the first show we had actually a bunch of them were still around they all came in and kind of were watching and we were just like hey, it's cool you guys come in we're not gonna mess with you you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not gonna mess with a bunch of outlaws you know yeah but it was you know man it was cool you know yeah but it was sort of wild west back then yeah um 
Yeah. What a the uh, there's a there's a the Papa Kev thing. Mm-hmm. Like the Papa Kev thing right now. So you've uh, you're the you're the last owner left, and you're running uh, you're running this place. You've got these kids that are showing up regularly now, mm-hmm. and they've kind of developed this community. And uh, if you hang out around the sheep, if you hung out around the sheep, you know, well into it, uh, you definitely heard the Papa Kev thing. Yeah. Um, so you want to tell us about how that started or like, or like what that means or. Yeah. You know, I don't know necessarily when it started, but sure. I, you know, the kids who grew up there, I guess looking back, there wasn't really, maybe I was six years older than some of the mm-hmm. oldest ones, but some of them I did raise. Mm-hmm. And. Well, you were an old man too. You're yeah. A old man. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just in my heart to, father and shepherd people you know, that's just what that's who i am and uh yeah man i mean like that we, i wanted to make it like a home for mm-hmm. kids especially kids who didn't have a home or felt like outcasts and mm-hmm. or whatever and it was you know it was a big part of that you know it was like protecting people you know sometimes you know a lot of times there'd be crazy stuff would go down and especially back in the day and we'd mm-hmm. have to stop it and you know, but you want to give kids a place to grow and develop and become who they are you know I think one thing black sheep showed you is you don't have to always agree with people on everything you can love people mm-hmm. and agree to disagree you yeah. know and that's sort of the message of it it's like hey man we're we're all here to hang out and have fun and and, and try to be a family you know yeah. and so it was a, it was a family though too I mean like people got the place tattooed like the initials of the place tattooed on them and mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah. you know like it saves, I mean, some of them will say it saved their lives. Yeah. And I'm very humbled that they say that because, mm-hmm. you know, I did do it, you know, at the Sunch Easy way, we, we did do it for the kids. Yeah. You know, for sure it wasn't about the music all the time because the music half the time wasn't that good, you know, but it, it was okay because it was, it was for the kids and it was for the community. And, you know, they can make whatever music they want to make as long as they're not like, you know, I don't know, cutting people's heads off or something up right. there, yeah. you know. But yeah, that's kind of where that came from. It was just like I guess it's in my heart to be a be a father, and yeah. uh, I know I mean, to this day, I mean, I I manage college kids at the Starbucks campus, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of doing it again, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a way, yeah, you know, and that's just who I am, you know. So I don't I don't mind that. Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's really interesting that you started with like the because I we know, I don't think me and you we've known each other since I was probably like seventeen. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think I've ever asked you about what you were like when you were a little kid or anything. It's kind of a, in not a, it's, yeah. it's a weird thing to just bring up. So when you say that, um, you know, your parents said you were like a little old man and that you would sit and ponder and, and were often quiet or more like intellectual in your own head, um, that you ended up like, you know, growing up, becoming an adult. And then like, you're soft-spoken, easy to talk to, quiet you listen well mm-hmm. so like it's like the perfect you know the perfect kind of thing for that situation um i i, yeah, I just remember going to shows and there there's like not necessarily like like the you know miles fowler legend but there's this like there's just this there was this insane respect for papa kev you know mm-hmm. um like you don't mess with that i don't agree with the word he says i don't believe in jesus <laughs> i don't yeah. like god i really hate religion i hate all this stuff but i love kevin yeah. Kevin loves me, and I know he loves me. Yeah, yeah. I respect him. Yeah. Uh, and I've always looked up to that. I always thought that was sick. 
uh, I remember coming to shows with not enough money and he let us in uh, for whatever we had, you know? Um, yeah. If Miles didn't try to get us first, which <laughs> he often posted up outside. Yeah. Made us pay twice or tried to get us to pay twice. Yeah, but, right. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that uh, I think that that's really cool. Um, the Black Sheep was definitely... I, I It's not like a... It's not like a thing that saved my life. I definitely wasn't like a black sheep kid, but I came enough that I knew a lot of the people there and I yeah. knew a lot of the things. But as a kid who, um, especially being like a Christian kid, um, not having a place to see some of those bands and some of those bands were coming through. Yeah. Um, and it was the only place to see them. Yeah. Also, just like having a place where I knew like I could tell my parents that like there's not going to be any like drugs or like yeah, no one's gonna yeah, be like partying you yeah, know like yeah. in the building um i'm sure that stuff happened but um yeah. not you know it was it was policed well and yeah. uh, uh people took care of it you know i remember uh i remember some like old drunk dude came in and a 40 fell out of his pants and benny like drug him outside you know and, like <laughs> so i you know it's like yeah. uh my dad my mom worried about it but my dad was uh my dad was pretty cool with letting yeah. me go and then I mean, I'm glad they never showed up because I think if they, my mom would have saw the area, she would have been one of those people that was scared of it. But yeah, we always had nothing really to be scared of. Nah, we always had this thing too. Parents could come in for free. Yeah, yeah we wanted we wanted to build trust with like, yeah, we're not here to. It's not smart money, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that was intentionally. It was like that's why I didn't get heavy with my faith. I wouldn't like force on people because I think it's a it's a conscious choice you make yourself. Mm-hmm. And I respect people's choice. Mm-hmm. I think God does. Sure. And so I don't. Uh, I was very careful not to like make it a cult of personality. Yeah. And so I intentionally would say we. I would use a lot of plural mm-hmm. plurals when talking about the black sheep. A, it builds a sense of community. Also, B, it doesn't make it seem like it's my like thing. Yeah. You know, and because you, you want to not make it. You have to have an eth- You have to have strong ethics when you do all ages venues because. I've seen, and we also heard, we've all heard lots of stories about people that would use it to, like, you know, for bad things. Yeah. And to safeguard against that, you have to, you have to have an ethic going into it that you, you know, you draw a line. Yeah. And you, and you can't, and kids are impressionable and they're young and you can't, I don't, I don't like manipulation. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that's love. Yeah. You know, I think, like, I'll, I'll tell you what I think if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll love you where you're at. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't have to agree with you to love you. Sure. And I and that's, which is not a thing that like a lot of kids uh, hear, or at least heard back then for sure. Maybe now it's a little bit different, a little bit more. But um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that that those kind of scenes and those tight spaces. Those are. I remember going to Cornerstone, and just like I'd never seen. At 14 or 15, I'd never seen so many people um, who all thought different things. Yeah. Like, working together, living together, eating together, like, hanging out for a week straight in, like, unbearable conditions. Yeah, yeah. Like, at once. And so, I've always, um, you know, you get little pieces of that at, at places like the Black Sheep or even Wake the Dead Indicator or, like, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Whenever we were doing cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, those, like... I, it, it it was always good. It was always really good to um, to feel like comfortable and safe and like that everyone around there cares, you know. Yeah, that was the idea. Yeah. And obviously, there's no perfect community. No. And we tried our best, and I and I think that's that's all we could do. And you know, and looking back, 
I would have done some things differently for sure. Yeah. But also, I was young. You know, mm-hmm. I was 22 when we started it, man. Yeah. You know, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty much all my 20s and into when I, I stopped at 33. So from like 22 to th- no, I stopped at 32. So from 22 to 32, I was doing that. So I grew up with the two. Yeah. You know, and I I had to learn how to you know like essentially race teenagers some, mm-hmm. some of them you know and 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 be able to like be there with people through some very hard things that would happen to them yeah. and uh and people didn't have anywhere to go and we were their family mm-hmm. and we fought for each other you know yeah. and i don't regret that at all like i you know i didn't go to, to the traditional traditional like college thing and get the state job or whatever thing and but I, you know, it's that sacrificial love that I think typifies Jesus that I, I do believe in, and I do believe in trying your best to enact that, you know. Yeah. And it, it's it's a grace, and it's something that it, you know isn't just in there. It's there's an empowerment to do that. But I, I I always when people ask me why is there that kind of love there, I would explain it's it's a spiritual thing. Yeah. And you can take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And so some people, for sure hate God, hate Jesus, hate the idea of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But well, the idea was to go around all that, the bias against it, just do it. Yeah. Instead of like talking about how to love someone or theories about it or some like extravagant theological, uh, mm-hmm. you know, take on something. It's like live that stuff and do that yeah. stuff and be that stuff. Yeah. You know, you can't wait. You can't wait for people to understand it. Just do it. For sure. Yeah. I, you know? I think that being a kid and, and going to those shows and, and uh, meeting people like you and Mama Linda and um, Tiavi and these yeah. people, that, like, it definitely was, like, super formative for me um, as a young Christian dude who, you know, like, um, did a lot of street witnessing, a lot of evangelicalism, yeah. like, yeah. and that stuff, man, it just never felt great to me. I wasn't good at it, and uh, it never felt, it, it, not never, but it didn't always feel genuine. And, uh, you know, growing up, like, the uh, yeah, that move of, like, just, like, well, if you just love people, like, if you just try really hard to, to like, yeah. you actually invest in the people that are, that are you know, need it. Um, and I remember we went down recently, me and my wife went down and helped some friends with the wedding. And uh, we drove all the way to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. We worked our butts off. Like, yeah, Maggie yeah. stayed up all night making these flowers. And, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm taking family members to Kroger and we're loading and unloading and chopping down trees and setting up tents. Yeah. You know, we're like, we took work off to go do like work, you know. And at the end of the week, um, the bride's mom was like, why, why would they do this? Yeah. You know, and her, her parents were not religious, um, have never been. And they're just like, it's like that's what love like that's what love is like yeah, like yeah. as Christians like that's how they love like yeah. and that's what they think like they're just supposed to do because it's like the good thing to do yeah. and her you know her mom like one of the that was like one of the first like clicks for her mom who's like you yeah. know seven or 60s or whatever like so I and I think that like I wouldn't be that way if it wasn't for places like the black sheep what, what do you think the uh, we'll stay in the heavy for a second yeah. What do you think? What do you think the hardest the hardest part about running the sheep was? Well, I mean, that's there was a lot of little things, that would, little things would, yeah. that would go wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have anything that's really public, there's a lot of X factors. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
because you know the nature of the music if it's heavy stuff it, it can sometimes bring a violent crowd to be honest sure and you know that's a part of it you have to break up fights you gotta deal with inner you know communal drama you know from the community itself uh there's money stuff because you're, you're you're never making enough i mean i never made money from black sheep you always went back into it yeah there was you know problems sometimes with the city the city would pick on us sometimes they would when graffiti was big you know bands and kids would tag the walls and I didn't know it, but a detective was like looking at all our stuff from the window and taking pictures. And he came in one day and was asking me about this and that. I was like, oh, dude, I don't know. You know? Yeah. It's just like, just stuff like that. I mean, we had a bad reputation from the, the city thought, I, I think, I think thought we were some kind of weird heroin ring or something at first. And it's like, no, dude. Like, yeah. we're all, st like, the people that run it are straight edge, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like, that's the last thing we want. It's just, you know, so we we had to deal with all sorts of barriers and obstacles. Mm -hmm. You know, like people not wanting to come. You know, people bagging on the PA, and how you know this the stuff we had wasn't the best. Like you know, you know yeah. the sound equipment wasn't that great, and people would find reasons to pick on it. But it's like you know, you loved it or hated it, and mm -hmm. so I guess it is all those little factors that would make us stressful because it's at the end of the day you're doing it for the community for the kids and. A lot of times the touring bands, some of them would be cool, some of them be not, you yeah. know, cool at all. And dealing with that too, and they sometimes they would be nasty. Like one time, Jason Perry booked uh, the dude from K Records, Calvin Johnson. Mm -hmm. And Calvin was cool, he's whatever. But these uh, kids from like Mizzou or something came out, like eight hours or something, out to the show, and they wrote this really nasty review of the Black Sheep, like in the in the article for the paper, because they they said it was like one windmill kick away from falling over or something like that. <laughs> I was like, okay. But this is like, you know, these, these really arrogant, conceited college kids came out there and totally trashed it and yeah. without not understanding the, the community or the reference at all. Sure. So And at a show with the dude from K Records, which yeah. seems to be like this like the god of DIY. Like, right. You know, yeah. he was like homies of Kurt Cobain and stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and it was like yeah, you know, it was it was weird because that show wasn't that well attended either. Because yeah. at the time, I don't think Springfield knew what to do with that. Mm -hmm. Now it'd be huge, but back then, I mean, people were really into metalcore and emo and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just like it was a different scene, mm -hmm. and so that that was kind of weird. You know, so there's there's lots of stories like that of just weird stuff that sure. would happen. It would just be just like kind of it would be it would be kind of uh, amusing. And bewildering and also kind of stressful at the same time yeah. so it's like that's how dealing with anything public can be you just don't know what the public's going to do yeah or who's going to show up or what's going to happen when people do show up sure. you know so it's things like that i guess yeah what do you think the best part is if you could pick oh just helping people out man i mean given you know like yes you know save it's it did save some people's lives and that is the most rewarding thing is yeah. that you know the music is it's always based in fads and it comes and goes and diff different things cycle back and forth so that's always going to be kind of uh, a given that's going to be kind of trendy mm -hmm. and it's not going to be it's going to be fickle by nature yeah but like the things that really do last are you know community and 
friendships and relationships that kind of stand the test of time. That's honestly the truth. No matter how cheesy that sounds, I don't really care. Yeah. Because that's the stuff that lasts and, and like that outlasts scenes because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to have a harsh noise scene forever, especially <laughs> yeah. in a town like this, but it's like the, there's people that... It's a piece gazebo. Yeah, right? <laughs> I forget Drew had one too. Yeah. Maybe that was a gazebo. I don't remember. That is gazebo. Oh, that is gazebo. Okay. But yeah, you know, it's just like... <laughs> You know, those scenes kind of come and go, but yeah, it really is the community around the place that is the most rewarding thing. Yeah. See kids who grew up with it and they're doing well. You know, I see them throughout the city or throughout whatever, or I hear from them online, and, you know, I made an impact on them and I gave them a home. Yeah. yeah that is, you know, because that is to me the best part of it was it gave people a home. Mm-hmm. It felt important and life giving. Yeah, yeah. And it felt really relevant that way. So the music could be bad half the time. But if it was giving them life, that's what mattered. Yeah. You know, and so that is the most rewarding part. Because God knows it wasn't just for the music why I did it. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, yeah. if it was for that, I would have stopped a long time ago. Yeah. You know, but it was more for the it was more for the keep the people there. Yeah. You know? For sure. Yeah. Um, well, I uh, I have some. We uh, we haven't really gone through uh, through your bands playing music. Yeah. Okay. Um, with on the first episode with Drew, Drew uh, tried to list all the bands he was in from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so maybe we just see see what your list is like. Sure. Well, the first real band I was in was that then because like you know yeah. you try to start things and playing your friends' houses or mm-hmm. basements, but the first real band I was in was Solemn Vow. Then Kick to the Head, Big Mouth. Well, I was in with I helped do the Code Thirty demo and I was in that band for a minute then. We kind of parted ways. Then mm-hmm. I was in Big Mouth, Caterpillar Club, Soap Scum, Wars. I think that I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So it was, those are the main bands I yeah. was in. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all fun. They're all different. And I want to do something I think different each time I I did a band with people. It's like yeah. let's make something that's I don't want to do this the same band twelve times. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's like let's let's try to push stuff. And Cat Club and Wars are definitely like some of the the weirdest and soap scum had some really unique songs too mm-hmm. like we almost and mario and Corey and i we all just played together really well and kind of could just play off of each other mm-hmm. you know like and bj too when i was in wars of bj it was just like we just got each other and we could just mm-hmm. make songs yeah you know and that's just cool about making music with people it's like kyle too i mean when kyle drummed in cat club and mm-hmm. it was just like he could read my mind and it was like since i'm a drummer first i'm not a guitar yeah. player first it was like we played for the rhythm mm-hmm. you know because even the guitar became more like a rhythmic instrument mm-hmm. you know in that band yeah and so it just worked we got each other you know mm-hmm. and Corey too i was you know what i was in three bands two or three bands with Corey, and me and Corey always we always like talking about music yeah you know whenever we get together we just talk about what do you think about this and we yeah, just yeah. go on and on about mm-hmm. what we think about something so and, and that's what's neat about a creative community. This is like, hey, let's just try to do something. Yeah. And it like, and you got like Brian front, fronting bands like Soap Scum. Brian's just an animal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's just this like really neat creative guy. And when he would do something, it, he always wanted to make a show like an event. It wasn't just a show, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that was kind of fun uh, doing bands with Brian. Uh, you know, and even the last Splash Room show he played was really fun. That was really great that the, the yeah. last Soap Scum set, you yeah. know? I didn't get to make the last bunch of shit, but... Oh, it's okay. Yeah. 
Well, it's yeah. on YouTube, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually. I watched clips of it. I think it, it was really fun. Yeah. yeah, it was sad, but it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Lots of great photos. Oh yeah, Big Mouth was fun too. Yeah, there's lots to talk about Big Mouth in the first episode. Oh, do you talk about Big Mouth? Just because like that was yeah. like around the time he probably started coming was like yeah towards that, and so he, he yeah set up a lot. I remember seeing Big Mouth a few times. Big Mouth was fun. It was great. Yeah, it was fun, man. And we got to, you know, play some really fun shows outside of Springfield, too, which was really fun with that one. Yeah. With Kick, it was like, we were helping to kind of, like, there was a hardcore scene at Pound for Pound and all that, like, years before us. Mm-hmm. And Pound for Pound was still around, but together, Pound for Pound and Kick kind of made a new hardcore scene. Okay, yeah. And so it was kind of cool that we could kind of pioneer it, because everyone wasn't into that stuff when we... Yeah we're starting to play we we're like hey we're into this mm-hmm. and so eventually before i knew it all the metalcore kids were getting into bane or whatever yeah, it just, they just right. t- it took a while but eventually sure. they kind of did and it was like oh cool and then you know commodity and what become started and so then a new kind of regional hardcore thing in central Illinois kind of started up again yeah it was kind of cool just to see that kind of grow yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and now metalcore kids are barbers yeah, or, uh, tattooers. Yeah, or uh, what's the other career path? Uh, all country singers, podcasters. Yeah, yeah podcasters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that um, I think that what I have left, um, unless there's something you want to talk about that you haven't felt like you got to say yet, is like a quick question. You know, wrap yeah. more of a like quick answer. Yeah, kind yeah. Of first thing that comes to your head, kind of thing. Sure. Um, so don't think about it too long. Sure. Also, don't worry about offending anybody or anything, you know. Okay. We'll just, sorry. No, that's know? fine, that's fine. So, uh, the first question is, do you have a favorite current area band? It's just something you're current, really excited about. Uh, you know, I like Prevention, man. I, I haven't yeah. seen them yet, but I heard the demo. It's really killer. Yeah, so. they're super good. Yeah. I've been to a bunch of those shows now. And, uh, yeah, I gotta go. I feel bad I, like, I haven't been to. They're kind of like, that stuff kind of lives on through those, those guys, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's cool to see that still kind of live on. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your favorite defunct area band? Oh man, it's hard. You know, I like Sea Life a lot. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that band never got the credit they deserved, but they made some really good songs. Yeah. Kirk and Scott, and uh, oh man, what's their drummer's name? I forget. They just made some really, really quality songs. Yeah. And they were kids. They were like 18-something-year-old mm-hmm. kids making yeah. just banging music. You know, that band was good. And that one and HK47, too, I'd say Jim and Jake's little power violence band. That band was always great. Dumb S.O. Winky was awesome. There was, there was so many. I yeah, mean, yeah. Streetfield's produced so many great bands. Yeah. You know, I'm really proud of our local scene. I uh, We were reminiscing about Transatlantic recently. Just as, yeah. That band was so good. They were like, good. Big, yeah. loud, good guitars. Like, it's like Americana the tone rock. Was so yeah. good. Yeah, it was like yeah. it was like just good rock and roll. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, Brandon tried to get me to tuck my jeans into my cowboy boots one day because we, <laughs> we played a show together, and I yeah. was like, I'm not doing that. And he's like, You have to do that. They look stupid, and I was like, But it looks stupid when you, I tuck them in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was back when. That was back. Yeah, back that was in the back day. when uh, King Worm is sick too. Yeah, that was a good band too. Yeah. Okay, uh, best straight edge band of all time. 
I mean, Minor Threat for sure. I mean, they're like they're like the the OGs, yeah. you know. That's your favorite and the best. I mean, that's that's the best because it's the first uh, yeah. favorite. Uh, it'd be somewhere between Judge or GB or yeah, Minor Threat. You know? Yeah, yeah. Probably one of one of those three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. What's your uh, favorite Springfield restaurant? Oh, dude, Flavor of India for sure. Flavor of India. Yeah. For that sure. Food. I had a feeling it was going to be Indian or Jamaican food. Oh, yeah, the Jamaican place is good too, man. I haven't been there yet. I gotta oh, go. Yeah. Dude, for sure. You got to go. Uh, who's the greatest wrestler of all time? Greatest wrestler of all time? I mean, it depends how you want to cut it. I mean, as far as like in ring work ethic and the ability, it's either. It's honestly like. Uh, probably Shawn Michaels, dude, okay. as far as like a worker. Yeah. When it comes to like a draw, it's Austin, Rock, and Hogan. I mean, like those guys drew money. Yeah. You know, money. Yeah, yeah. So it depends how you want to cut it. Sure. So I think that it depends what you're looking for, work rate like or, yeah. or draw. That's a good answer. So, yeah. Uh, when did, did you watch wrestling as a kid? Oh, dude, yeah. I'm from so, the North End, yeah, bro. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what, uh, who was your favorite wrestler as a kid? <clears throat> as a kid, I mean, I like Bret Hart a lot. I was, a, I was, I like Bret Hart. I like Sabu a lot, too. Okay. He was an ECW guy, mm-hmm. and yeah, Hogan. I mean, because everybody liked Hogan when they were a kid, you sure. know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> My little brother loved Hogan, <clears throat> uh, but I was a real Ultimate Warrior guy. Uh, yeah, man, the the Warrior was good too. Big, big Ultimate Warrior guy. Um, and my uh, Macho Man. Oh, I dude, me some Macho Man. I saw Macho Man wrestle Scott Hall in '92 here. So that was a sick show. Yeah. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah, we've been. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about wrestling lately. My uh, when when the warrior died a couple years ago, I think. Yeah, right? yeah. I uh, I didn't know he was still alive. Okay. Because I swear to God that my dad told me that he died when I was a kid. There was a rumor about that. So my whole yeah. life, I grew up thinking my favorite wrestler was already dead. Yeah. And then a couple years ago, he died again. Yeah. And I had to get sad all over again. Yeah. And I was sad that I missed out on all this time of him being alive. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that I got a lot of my business sense and ethic from Paul Heyman. Because <laughs> the way he wrestled, the way yeah. he managed ECW, it was like, his whole thing was accentuate the positives and hide the negatives. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's what yeah, we're that's doing. Great, yeah. yeah, and so I got inspired by that for sure with how we ran Black Sheep. Because, yeah, we, we you have to downplay all the stuff you aren't. And just the stuff you are, yeah. that's good. You know, focus on that. Yeah, so that's that's how we kind of did it. You know, yeah. Paul Heyman. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. Those those guys for me for sure. I also in high school I went through a really big Rakishi phase. <laughs> I never I never got into him. Dude. I loved him. I saw I him, I saw him wrestle the state in the state fair once in like oh eight or something. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I don't know why. I was also pretty big into uh, uh, the Giant Big Show. Yeah, um, he was cool, man. When he came out, yeah. Yeah, the units hard and the yeah. Yeah, the giant gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a. I haven't watched this in a long time. Then I gotta get back. Dude, to yeah, I, I. My brother and I, my brother and I was like, he's got the network, so I'll watch WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. But then I, I never yeah. watch it. It's year. it's big right now. I know it's weird, it's dude. Popping off again. It's like huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird to see it be so mainstream. It's like covered by ESPN. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I just as uh, a kid that never happened. I you just know? saw this shirt on this. Uh, um, Triple H shirt maybe went for like eighty bucks on Depop. 
earlier today. I'm not surprised. Dude. I was like, man, this is crazy. No, in a degeneration. Degeneration uh, X. Yeah, I think yeah. that shirt was like somebody was selling for like sixty or seventy bucks. Oh like, yeah. Are the, these are the shirts all the poor kids in my school were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> like all the kids from the trailer park had like for sure had all the good so cool shirts. For now sure. they're like hundred dollars. I know that's weird, dude. Yeah. What else you got? That's it. That's it. That's all I got on my okay. on my paper. Okay. Uh, do you have any? Uh, do you have anything you need to plug? You got any bands? Ah uh, man, I, do you not have really. any? Uh, you got anything going on? You got an art show, book of poetry. <laughs> uh, no. GoFundMe. Is your wife doing any fundraising? Hey, I mean, for UIS, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, no, man. I mean, I'm just I'm living just living life. I, I got ordained a couple months ago. Yeah. So that was cool. So I've, you know, I've been. Trying to do more like spiritual renewal, like contemplative prayer kind of stuff, and yeah. I've been doing that with our community, and so I've been kind of moving more in that direction. But Father. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so so it's more what I've been you know, working towards yeah. and whatever. So, and uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm I'm really proud of what we did though, and I think it's good and it's cool to see it live on, you know. And yeah, you know, I went, I saw Brian a couple weeks ago, and. Yeah. At the record fair down at the Three Sixty Six Hotel thing, we yeah, were talking, yeah, hanging yeah, out for yeah. a while. Yeah. yeah, and just you know, I'm really I'm <clears> glad <throat> that that like you know people who grew up with it are still making art mm -hmm. and music and doing big stuff, and they're out all having kids themselves. You know, yeah, it's it's really you know? crazy. For those that don't know, so I don't know if we mentioned it. We may, maybe mentioned it in the first episode, but um, when you stepped down from Black Sheep, there were uh, four Claire. Yeah, BJ, Claire, Brian, and Drew. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> they kind of took over, like, yeah, the the running of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for a few more years. Yeah, I think I think at first it was <clears throat> Brian, Brandon, and Miles, and then like a year later it was those guys moved kind of. And then, yeah, then yeah. it was Claire, BJ, okay. Drew, and Brian. So the 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 kids took over. Yeah. They ran it yeah. themselves for about and, three years, and then now. They run a record store downtown. Yeah, um, yeah, and they're doing shows. Uh, yeah, and it is interesting. Like I was thinking, yeah, Corey Van Meter, Brandon, Gus, they all have kids. Like it's yeah. It's so I have a kid now. Like it's so. Yeah. Uh, it's wild, man. It's wild. Everybody's hitting thirty. Yep. And it's okay, you know. And, and I, they're still like, those people are still like popping up at shows sometimes. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Um. I think that's pretty cool bringing their kids to shows yeah man it, it shows you that it lives shows, on and yeah. and it's like they're still making great stuff and, mm -hmm. and I think that's what you have to do in a town like Springfield you just gotta kind of make it and you can't mm -hmm. worry about no one caring you gotta do it more for you yeah. and if people get into it cool if they don't they don't you know but yeah. it, it's, it's, it's like for a town our size there's a real strong music tradition and, and it's like there's a lot of pride locally in that mm -hmm. you know which I think is great because I think when Blast You started, people still would take a dump on Springfield, especially from outside of Springfield. Like Peoria always seemed like they had a better scene than us. Mm -hmm. St. Louis, of course, is, is a lot bigger and they yeah. always had a lot more going on or whatever. Chicago, you know. Yeah. And, you know, there's all this like, like, you know, Vice wrote about, Noisy wrote about Springfield, you know, mm -hmm. it's like weird. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of blows my mind because I didn't, I guess I didn't, think about anybody outside of our local scene and context caring. Yeah. And it wasn't really for anyone outside of our area. Mm -hmm. It was more for us. Yeah. And then it kind of went bigger, you know, and it got more exposure. 
from even the local media, because the local media at first didn't care about Black Sheep at all. Yeah. You know, it was sort of like anathema. Mm-hmm. And then later on, it's like, oh, then they're writing about it. There's the local NPR station did a thing, a couple things mm-hmm. about it. It's like really weird, you know? So it, yeah. it just, when you have creative people doing creative things, I guess eventually people notice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's what happened. It, being a facilitator, which more what I was, it just gave a place to be creative. Yeah. And they, you know, it was kind of, it form follows function. Mm-hmm. So it was cool how that kind of worked. What a, I, I asked Drew this question, um, and I think that I might ask it on all the episodes because I, I like it. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the, uh, like, the number one, What what's the number one thing that keeps the scene alive? And what's the number one thing that, like, kills the scene? Like, in the shortest, you know, yeah, yeah. concise way. Yeah, well, for sure, it's just people showing up mm-hmm. and caring. I mean, like, people starting bands, people coming to shows, people, you know, paying their five bucks and make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You can't have a place run and function without the support of the community. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, it won't happen. And people have to make content, be creative, and make an output, and then you have to have people that appreciate it. That's how yeah. scenes work. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that dynamic, it's not going to happen. And the closest, you know, the easiest thing that kills off scenes is a lot of times it's infighting. Mm-hmm. Infighting or it's a depreciation of art to where it doesn't matter anymore to people. Like jadedness, getting mm-hmm. older. You know, in family too, people just have, you know, you can't be 21 forever and eventually you have kids and you have bills and you got mm-hmm. spouses and you got careers. That, so as much as people want to say, you know, young forever for some people they can be usually they have to either be in a band be a creative making output or they have to facilitate shows yeah you, you don't want you don't want to be the 40 year old in the back you know being a weirdo yeah you know you, you have to probably be doing something and all they mm-hmm. seeing that's creative yeah to like to exist almost yeah. you know so i guess it's those things so if, if you have infighting and, and if you have a scene that cannibalizes itself which they do sometimes mm-hmm. then it's it just splinters into a thousand pieces and then it's gone so that's one of the things with it and usually they have a short shelf life is realistically a latest scene is like the average person that's a big part of it and comes to stuff and is excited about stuff probably only have a couple of years of shelf life yeah you know it's it's people that really really care and love it that stay for years and years and years mm-hmm. Because it just, you know, people move away to school, people like yeah. get jobs, and, and, and life gets in the way. So, well, when I observed over the years, it's like, yeah, the average kid has about two years. Yeah. And then, like, they're, they're really enamored and fall in love, and then eventually they kind of fall out of love with it. Yeah. Or it's something they can only do when they can. Mm-hmm. So, that, I think those are the factors that kind of go into a healthy scene. And you have to have, honestly, healthy moms and dads in scenes, too, yeah. that can, like, like Mama Linda's and, mm-hmm. and April's that, yeah. and or Jeff and Katz that, you know, care about, or crazy uncles like Brian that, you know, mm-hmm. they, they care about making it happen, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that give kids a safe place to be. If that doesn't exist, then it's, it's really hard. You have to have the facilitators yeah. to run a scene as much as you need bands and stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So that, that all goes into it. Which is, I mean, I think that's that's a big part of why I want to do this podcast is just because it's like shine a little bit of a light on some of those people. Um, just like, yeah, kind of bring awareness to how much goes into this stuff. Like, because I feel like we can take it for granted really easily and yeah. just kind of blow it off. Like, 
Yeah. But I don't really. I a couple of years ago, I just maybe two years ago, I decided I was going to go to every radon show that I could possibly go to. Yeah, yeah. And for well, being honest, I don't even want to go to half of them because yeah. like it's just not my thing, you know. Yeah. Or I'm tired. But going to them all, like I've you know I've made a ton of friends. Yeah. I've like I've done really well. Um, it's really good for my like spirit, man, my head, like yeah. <clears throat> um, and it's like good discipline, and so yeah. You know, getting myself there. Even going to going to dumb shows right now, bread stretcher shows. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to get out there as much as I can. Yeah. Um, and even when I'm not, like I'm feeling bad. I'm ready to PayPal like the doorman five bucks, yeah. even though I can't go just because. Yeah. I want shows to keep happening. So. Yeah, and I think they always will. I mean, there yeah, always there always yeah. be kids that want to do shows, and I think. You know, I don't know if the band thing is the thing the kids are into as much because it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Even working at a college, it's not really what most kids are into. Mm-hmm. So, but any, in any event, it's like they're making music. Yeah. It's just, you know, you have to be okay with the way they make it. And it won't be the same thing forever. And that's just not how it works. It's And I always said, like I always told Corey this years ago, and it's true, it's like the scene is kind of like this big ball that's rolling rolling and rolling and rolling it's made up of all these people and once you kind of fall off you're kind of stuck where you fell off at Mm -hmm. so if you fall if you fell off in like i don't know like 97 like you still think you know minerals like the band or something and it's rolling on without you Mm -hmm. and sometimes like you'll you'll roll back into that same thing but it just it just keeps going and going and Mm -hmm. it's gonna go if you're on it or not yeah you know because that's just how it is yeah and so, but it's it's okay because every new generation is going to find it. Mm-hmm. So, it's cool how to kind of evolves and changes and stuff yeah. for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, dude. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, thanks man. For, thanks for everything you've done. <laughs> You're welcome. Man. Uh, yeah. Till We Die is brought to you by Barisi Boys with production help from Luke Welchel of Miko Club. Big thanks to Kevin for making time to sit down with me, my wife for bringing home the bacon, and Sonny Sandoval from POD. The songs you heard at the beginning and the end of this episode are by Big Mouth. Check them out on Bandcamp. Thanks to Brandon Tyler Carnes for the intro and outro music, and thank you for listening. <laughs>